The scripture reading for this sermon is James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We're an urban monastery, and we're seeking the peace of the city. And an urban monastery is a community of people that come together They offer a school for the Lord's service and extend hospitality to guests. And so I've been asking you to kind of imagine that that might be something that we're offering the the city. And I've tried to give you a little window into some of the ways this has happened over the centuries. And one of the most famous urban monks was St. Francis of Assisi. He lived in the early 13th century. And that was a time when cities were being filled with people coming from the villages. And it was a time of great turmoil and tension. Uh, There was great poverty. There was violence. There were political problems. And the church, the structures of the church were no longer working. As a matter of fact, many would have said that those very structures were part of the problem. So in some ways, it's like today. Uh, And I I find St. Francis a fascinating person to study. Uh, I'll spend a couple of weeks talking about him. Just quickly, he was the son of a worthy, uh, worthy, a son of a wealthy merchant, and he became a soldier. Was taken captive, spent some time in prison, had a powerful conversion, came back to Christ, and then came into the center of the square in Assisi, in Italy and uh, stripped off all of his clothes in front of his father and all the wealthy merchants and walked out in the woods and pronounced everything, I'm going to spend the rest of my life serving the poor. And he set up shop in a, in a church outside of town that's actually still there. But after a while, people started to follow him. It grew, and they, they realized that there were so many needs in the city that they moved back into the city so that they could extend hospitality and, and teach and educate the people in the cities. Now, there's a famous painting um, by Greco that uh, depicts part of St. Francis's ministry to the city. St. Francis is on the left in the bottom corner there, and there is a, an Italian city there that, according to Francis's autobiography, was going through civil war, and, uh, and that's Brother Bernard casting out demons. You can see the demons at the top of the city, and Francis is praying for Brother Bernard as he heals the city. And uh, after the Franciscans went in and prayed for the city and worked in the city, there was a measure of peace. And I thought that, that's, that wouldn't be a bad way to think about our church <laughs> as praying for the healing and deliverance of, of our city. Well, we focused a lot this summer on caring for the people out there, you know, the, the people, uh, the stranger, the guest, the visitor, the foreigner. And that's been very good. At least I've enjoyed it. Um, and we've been relying on the teachings of Henry Nouwen to, to help us find language for his work. And, and I've got a quote that I think we've used before, but I wanted to look at it again if we could pull that up. Um, Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear to intrude and do harm. But still, our vocation is to convert the enemy into a guest and to create a free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. 
And my observation is, is that sometimes the hardest place to offer that kind of hospitality is to the person sitting next to you tonight. The person who came in with you. Uh, the person that you're going to see at work tomorrow morning. The, uh, the parent that you might have a phone call with this week. Uh, the estranged child. The roommate. Sometimes it's, it's, it's harder to actually create that open space for a close, intimate friend who's hurt you or who you disagree with than, than the stranger. And, and I wanted to talk about how we might do that tonight. How do you create a free and fearless space with someone that you might disagree with or somebody who might irritate you? And James 1, 19 to 20 offers us some clear instructions about how to do this. Uh, James 1, 19 to 20 is from the book of James, which is really like a New Testament book of Proverbs. And there's lots of different instruction about living a wise life in the book of James. The context is verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So God is bringing out of the world people to love and to know him and be a first fruit of his creatures, in other words, to reveal to the world what God looks like, to give a a glimpse of the Trinity to the world, to give a little hint of what life in God looks like. In other words, he, he wants to witness, to evangelize, to preach the gospel through the way that we are together as a people. In other words, through how we practice hospitality with each other. Now, He gives three very simple instructions. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, this is a very different sequence than the way that our world treats each other, especially when we disagree. And you know that, but just to kind of make the point, I wanted to show a brief clip of kind of the cultural winds of something like this. If we could go ahead and play that. Uh, no, not that. That's actually not the clip I was looking at. Sorry. <laughs> you can cancel that. Well, she lives that. on the first the floor. And you... <laughs> that's, that's not the one. It was one where there were four news commentators in a box all yelling at each other. Uh, and you've probably seen that. I probably don't have to show it to you again. Sorry, guys. I sent you the wrong one. That's my fault. That's not your fault. Um, when I try to get technological things like that happen. Um, But we all know how our culture tries to to disagree. Um, Now, we go back to verse 18. What is God doing in the world? He is trying to show first fruits of his creatures. He's trying to help his community witness to the world by how we show hospitality to each other. Before we get into the text, I wanted to just uh, tell you one other little story. And maybe, maybe I got this slide right. If you can pull up the picture of the monk's. Um, all right, the church is kind enough to give me one year study leave every year. I get at a monastery in New Mexico, and uh, Abbot Philip, the, the smiley guy on the left there, he uh, is retiring, and so he wrote a letter this week uh, that talked about his monastery. He says, we're the most international monastic community in the world. 
consisting of 63 monks from 16 countries at present. Since our, our community has grown in renown and is seen as a witness for all people that men and women are able to live in peace when gathered around our Lord Jesus Christ. Our community now gives witness without even saying a word. When guests and visitors come to pray in our church, they immediately are aware that we are brothers of many colors. But often it's the first impression that remains with them. This is a community that accepts men from all over the world, and they seem to be living together in peace. We are a witness that people from various cultures, ethnic groups, countries, and regions can actually live together in relative peace and form a true community. I think that's part of the idea here, and it's part of why extending hospitality to each other is so important. So let's just kind of look at this first command, be quick to hear. James says, know this. In other words, in light of the fact that God is creating a new community that witnesses to the world by how they treat each other, I want you to know that, and I want you to live this way. My beloved brothers... You are loved by God. You are loved by me. Let every person, not just the social workers, not just the therapist, be quick to hear. Let's stop there. That's as far as we're going to get in the text tonight. Your version might say be swift to listen. The Greek word for hear, akuo, is a very powerful word. It's used hundreds of times in the Bible. Most of the time, it's used for hearing the word of God. And James, or rather John 5, 25, Jesus says, An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. So the first usage of hearing in the Bible is God speaking and bringing life to a person who doesn't know him. And so it has this idea of the word of God that's filled with the life of God that is expressed by God. And then a person receives that word, welcomes that word into their life. And out of that welcoming, out of that embracing of that word, transformation, reconciliation and new life comes. So that's the big idea of hearing in the Bible. Now, the second idea is hearing another person. Akua is used 400 times for that. And it means to listen in a way to understand. And so if you put that together, if you kind of look at the overarching big idea of what hearing in the Bible means, it has this idea, it's a spiritual idea of, of actually receiving the mystery, the secret, the treasure, the essence of another person's view in such a way that it changes you and moves you into relationship with them. You see that? That's, it, this is a big idea in the Bible. It's receiving the essence of someone else in a way that reconciles and transforms you. So James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We are to focus on listening before we focus on speaking. The first thing we're supposed to do in any conversation in order to create hospitality is to focus on listening. On creating a space where we can actually have and embrace 
the secrets of that person's heart in a way that reconciles us and transforms the relationship. Now, before we go any farther tonight, I I want you to think about a relationship where there is tension. I I want you to think of, of someone that you're having difficulty communicating with right now. And I, I want you to think about that relationship as we apply this passage tonight. What does it mean for you when you think about that person? What does it mean for you to be quick to listen? What does it mean for you to make a priority of listening before sharing your point of view? Well, let's think about this a little bit. I I suspect that James is thinking about the actual conversation between two people. But notice, Jesus himself is quick to hear what the Father is saying in the relationship before he acts and speaks. John 5, 17 to 20, it's that wonderful passage where there's a big conversation going on about who he should heal, why he should heal, whether or not it was right to heal. They ask him, why did you heal that person? He says, the father is always at work. I only join him when I find out where he's working first. So one of the most important things we can do in a tense relationship, in a tense conversation, is to ask What is the Father doing here? And I don't know about you, that's not my first first response. And part of that, honestly, I find, is paying attention to what is going on in me as the conversation is happening. It's one of the ways I can kind of figure out what God is doing. My goodness, I feel so threatened right now in this conversation. I I feel like this person is demanding that I rescue them. I I feel so defensive right now. Father, what are you doing in this conversation? I've written a little note on my desk this year. Uh, I think Jill was encouraging us staff to have a word for the year. And, And I think I've told you this. My word this year is pause. When I get into a conversation, before I react, step back, be quick to listen. God, what? This person is so mad. This person is so disappointed. I don't understand where they're coming from. God, what are you doing? Before I react. Now, for the past couple of years, we've offered a couple of classes on something called collaborative communication, which is about essentially about listening well. And I actually find myself going back to my notebook from the class that I took in it, and I wanted to just quickly review two slides that have been real helpful to me as I've tried to think about this process of listening. If we can put the next one up. Four levels of listening. Um, and you're probably familiar with different ways to talk about this, but I thought this was helpful. The first is downloading. That's what you see on TV. That's what you see at the UN. That's what you see in the speeches. I just download into you whatever it is I want to get said. And that, of course, is the lowest level of listening. 
And we do that in our conversations all the time if we're not really paying attention. Second level is factual. We get a little bit past just downloading stuff to, okay, I'm actually trying to understand what you're saying. The third level is empathic. I'm to the point where I'm starting actually to feel what you're feeling, or at least I'm trying to feel what you're feeling. And then the last is, is generative, and by that, to generate. Something happens, and I find this very rare. This last level is what happens when you've actually done the hard work of hanging in there, not reacting, doing the hard work of listening, and then something new comes out of the conversation for both of you, and you're taking into a new, a new understanding, a new awareness. It's a beautiful thing. It doesn't happen very much. Now, the next slide, six ways to listen. We spent a night on that. It was very helpful. Beware of thought. Understand that when you enter into the conversation, you've got a whole web of thoughts and beliefs that are kind of already front-loaded in that the, the other person has got to kind of penetrate for you to understand. Stick to the facts. It's real easy to kind of go all over the place and be triggered by things that the person says. Um, text conclusions. Uh, I think I meant to say test conclusions. Uh, you can text them, of course, too. Uh, but uh, in, in other words, we go into conversations with assumptions and beliefs that we know, we know, we know, we know, we know are true, and we never test them. Follow the disturbance when something comes up that triggers you that upsets you. Follow that. Don't ignore it. That's been one of the most helpful things uh, I I learned from from CC. I I, I used to, if this were my ways to listen, it would be run from the disturbance. (laughs) Change the subject. (laughs) Anything. Do not bring it up. Obviously, that will hurt you. (laughs) Follow it. Tonight at dinner, when you're talking, and you're kind of having that, you know, that sort of boring conversation when you're kind of already gone from dinner and something irritated you? Ask about it. What do you mean when you said that? Can you tell me more about that? As hard as it is, I find that that's where there's gold in conversations. Not when you stick with the script, but when you follow the disturbance. Listen without resistance. You know, we come into these conversations, especially if somebody's upset with so much baggage, so much defensiveness, and then stand still, try to quiet the, the chatter in your mind and enter into the relationship with peace. So those are some of the practical ways to do this that we've been learning around here. Um, let's talk just for a minute about fear and listening. I think that most of the time when two good people disagree, it's not because one is good and one is bad. I think it's because they're both afraid that something they care about, that something they love, that something they've invested in will be hurt or harmed. And when when I've been a part of reconciliation, when I've been a part of those rare moments where it moves to a generative dialogue, it has happened when we've both been able to get to the fear 
beneath the conflict. Second thought. Well, let me ask you this before I leave that. When you are communicating, when you are trying to create that free and open space in relationship with a friend, ask yourself, am I speaking out of fear? Because remember, go back to verse 18. God is through the word creating a new community. He's sovereign over all of this. If we lose sight of that in our relational hard spots, we're going to give in to fear and anxiety and chaos and it's going to go dark. Am I speaking out of fear or out of a centered peace in Christ when I have this? Next week, we're going to talk about speaking. One of the things that's hit me as I've studied this this week is I probably should speak less. I probably should wait more until I get to that place of centered peace. A word about humility and being open to learning from one another. There's a lot about sin in this passage. Verse 20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. There's all sorts of sin in our hearts that keep us from being hospitable, that move us towards anger, that that rob us of these safe places. One of the things that sin does is make it impossible for me to perfectly know the will of God. Would you agree with that? Now, I didn't say we can't know the will of God. I didn't say God hadn't spoken. I said sin in my head and yours has made it impossible for me to perfectly know at all times, in all places, exactly what God wants. That then means that I could be wrong. That means, at the very least, that all of my beliefs are affected by sin. And that's why I need the body of Christ and the history of the church to guide me. As the old monk said, he who has himself for a guide is a fool for a tutor. I need the history of the church and the body to help me discern truth because I could be wrong. I could be in error. This is so hard for us. It's so hard for me. The only way to get to true deep listening is for me to come in and for you to come in with a belief that I could learn something from you. And that part of what I believe might change. There must be a humility in this or we're going to just bang against walls. We need a healthy doctrine of sin to communicate well. Now, I want to to just hit one more thing in this little idea of being quick to hear about listening first. Today, we communicate through social media. Uh, we, We do it through Facebook. We do it through texting. And it's not going anywhere so we better get used to it. God says we should do three things when you communicate. Listen deeply, then speak, and watch your anger. And what I see in social media is the exact opposite. Nurse your anger, post something, listen to people who agree with you. Now, I'd like you to put the noun quote back up, and I want you to, I'm not saying don't use social media, 
I'm going to read this, and I want you to ask yourself, did, did everything you texted and posted in Instagram last week fall within this rubric? Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear to intrude and do harm. But still, our vocation is to convert the enemy into a guest and to create a free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. Is your Facebook page that space? Are your texts hospitable? Now, there is speaking. There is advocacy. There's a place for anger. There's a place for confrontation. There's a place for prophecy. There's a place for rebuke. We'll talk about that next week. I'm not saying be namby-pammy, don't ever speak. I get that. But, but this is really troubling my spirit. I feel that we are leaving behind the gospel commands of hospitality when we enter the virtual world. And it's, and it's not right, and it's, it's hurting people. And you know this better than I do. I don't really use Facebook anymore. But you know this better than I do. If you say Billy Bob is a knucklehead and everybody who agrees with Billy Bob is also a knucklehead, well, somebody who agrees with Billy Bob is here tonight. And you just called your brother a knucklehead because you posted it. That's not right, beloved. It's not right. There is a way to advocate, I'm sure. There's a way to post. There's a way to argue. There's a way to persuade. That's part of a, living in a beautiful country like ours. But we have to do it with respect and dignity and hospitality. And somehow we have to figure out how to create a place where we can actually understand the other person. I don't see how you do that much on social media. There must be a way to do it. It's the future. We've got to figure it out. <laughs> Every week, almost, I get, uh, I, I get an, uh, a post or somebody sends me something about how evangelicals could vote for Trump. Got one five minutes before I walked in tonight. I get it. I get it. I get it. I could write it. I understand. Very perplexing dilemma. And what I want to say, and I say to you, ask one. Quit sending me stuff. Go talk to the person and ask them, how on earth did you vote for Trump if you're a Christian and he's an adulterer? That's what you're thinking. You know, that's what you're thinking. And it goes the other way too. How on earth did you vote for Obama when he's a yada, yada, yada? Let's stop shooting all these articles back and forth and sit down over a cup of coffee and talk to each other. Please, please, please don't send me another article on evangelicals of Trump. I get the problem. <laughs> oh, so I'll end with this. I should have probably ended five minutes ago. But um, so one of the things that I'm doing this fall is I'm meeting with every small group leader. And if if Jill and I haven't gotten a hold of you yet, that means we don't know your small group leaders. So contact us so I can get with you. And uh, we're just figuring out how, how do we support each other better. It's a real important part of our church. Um, 
kind of feel like I've taken my eye off the ball a little bit on small groups. Too many have gotten disconnected. So we're looking into that. going to have them all over my house. We're just going to kind of talk and pray. Having some great conversations. And I'm just asking what's working, what's not, things like that. Had a meeting with a, with a great a couple of small group leaders, and they were real honest. They said, you know, our group almost closed. We're very different. We're different in a lot of ways. We're very different politically. And, and man, the last election was really tough for us. And what we've decided to do is we just, we just do not go there. Which is, that's what my mom said. You know, religion, politics, just don't go there. Being the pastor of this church, my mom's rolling over in her grave. <laughs> so, but what happens when you decide that you can't talk about that? And I realized... Thanksgiving with the in-laws, maybe not the place. But this is a group of people that have been together for five years, maybe want to be together for 15 more. What happens when you say, you know, we're just not going to talk about the election? Well, what you're essentially saying is, this is not really a safe place to talk about the deepest parts of yourself. We're just going to wall that off. So that's what they did for a couple of years. And gradually, it kind of got boring. And they thought about shutting it down. Well, one night, I don't know all the stories, one night they were out to dinner, and, and I don't know if I'll get the story exactly right, but somebody was just brave and curious and said, you know, I love you. Let's go around the table. Who'd you vote for? <laughs> they had the love and the integrity and the history to say, and then they asked, What's it like to be in community with me when we disagree pretty passionately about our politics? And then they got curious. You know, I'm, I'm curious. You voted that way, but you believe this. How, how does that work? And their whole small group kind of was renewed and resurrected and revitalized after they went there. I think that's gutsy. I think that's what we need to be doing. They're together in a new way now. They're the first fruits of God's creatures. Let's pray.